Welcome to the Candeo Equipping Podcast. My name's Jake, and I'm here with Jordan Prohoda, our community ministry team leader and one of our pastors here at Candeo. And uh, today we're talking about justice. So last Sunday, I preached a sermon on justice, and uh, about oh, two-thirds of the way into that message, uh, I said that there's a there are five practical ways to love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, for the sake of time and that message... I only hit one of them, and so that way we weren't there until noon. Um, but I pulled Jordan. Thank you for that. By yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I figured we'd want to eat. I know. I know the. I know the Israelites would stand all day and listen to the scriptures read. And yeah, I long for the day that we have that kind of attention span once again. That would be fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're a little ways from yeah from that. Unfortunately, yeah. but but I pulled I pulled you in Jordan because you do a lot with our community ministry team and particular our local ministries and um and you've taught some classes on on uh on local missions and um partnered up with uh, a variety of people and ministries and so the topic of justice uh real practically I mean seems to hit your world quite a bit and you've done yeah. quite a bit mm-hmm. of reading on that and mm-hmm. um so yeah I'm excited to to hear your thoughts on all these uh I'm going to I'm going to re restate the first point um and so kind of the context if you weren't there last Sunday uh we talked about um doing justice is seeking the wholeness the physical and the spiritual wholeness of all made in God's image and what we talked about was that what that practically looks like is from Mark chapter 12 when Jesus says, uh, the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, we said that Jesus isn't just making up loving your neighbor. It wasn't a new thing that uh, that the Jewish people would have heard. They would have actually remembered that from Leviticus 19 back in the law uh, when God himself says to love your neighbor as yourself. But in Leviticus 19, what we see is that before God's says, love your neighbor as yourself, he kind of like, he walks through five different ways, essentially, that you're to love your neighbor. And those five things, the first thing we hit on Sunday was to love your neighbor with your possessions. And so Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10 say, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and for the resident alien. I am the Lord, your God. And so what God is doing is in establishing this, uh, this is called gleaning, this gleaning practice within the people of Israel is he's saying, don't plow your fields to the very edges. Like don't maximize every last bit of profit you possibly could from the context um, that you have it, for the purpose of being generous, uh, to the vulnerable, for the purpose of being generous to the poor, for the purpose of loving your neighbor with your possessions in such a way that you actually plan to be generous with what you have. And and so what we have here, and we talked about, I mean, I'd be surprised how many would remember this, but back when we walked through the book of Ruth, Mm -hmm. this was the very thing that's happening in the book of Ruth, that Ruth... uh, is going out to Boaz's field and she is gleaning because Boaz, as a righteous man, had not plowed to the edge of edges of his field and he had not gone back for the the grain and the kernels that uh, that had fallen, but he had left those for the dispossessed, for the poor, for the immigrant, which is what Ruth would have been. And so she is gleaning. And what we what we even talked about in uh, when we walked through Ruth is that this. This is a really interesting practice that God has set up um, because uh, 
it's not a pure handout either, right? right? Like yep. it's it requires generosity on the part of the landowner, but it also requires initiative on the part of the needy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it's not as though God tells you know the people of Israel or that Boaz himself was. It's like don't don't plow to the edges of your field, and then you go and take all that and gather it all together and take it to the needy. Now there's certainly an ask you know parts of scripture where it's like, yeah, for those who are unable to work, like we're to have concern for them as well. And so this isn't to say, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'll throw it out there. You know, I mean, yeah, there, there, there are physical and mental disabilities that would prohibit someone from being able to do that. And we're to be generous towards those people. Absolutely. But there is a principle where it's like, this also isn't just a, a pure, oh, if I can use the phrase without getting in too much trouble, a pure total welfare program that requires nothing on the part of the recipient either. Right. I remember, so I unpacked this with one of my good friends who actually is a financial advisor, and I walked Mm -hmm. him through the principles in Ruth, specifically Ruth 2, which you just talked about, and it blew his mind. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because it was a structure that God put in place where, uh, yeah, that the landowner, uh, was called to be generous, and there was a specific way he was to do that. But then the, the the person in need, the vulnerable, were called to go and glean. And it was like this beautiful both and that for whatever reason just kind of blew his mm-hmm. mind. And it almost like took the political lens off of things and just put the biblical lens onto things. And yeah. you go, of course God would have like the perfect system put in place to help those who are vulnerable. Um, because I think if we if I can just zoom out even a little bit further and go, Big picture in the Old Testament. If you walk throughout all the the Pentateuch and specifically, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, there is so much in here about caring for the vulnerable. Mm. I think God is. I think Keller said it this way: that um, what God's call for His people was was that this almost needs to be your calling card. That almost what what is known about you is you're the kind of people who care about the vulnerable, the poor, the immigrant, mm. and those type of things. That was supposed to be true of them. So that was that. So that's the law. That was like aspirational. What they were called to. Ruth is a positive example of when that go re- goes really well. And then if you keep going, you get to Amos, which is the example of how that went horribly wrong. Mm. So God's people, the Israelites are a trampling on the poor and needy and uh, and God is re- rebuking them specifically mm. for that thing. And so so Ruth is a, a beautiful positive example of you know the the or the, uh, the mosaic law being played out and then Amos if you want to if you want to read that one. That's like the the don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't go that route. Well, yeah, it's 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 pretty much the antithesis of of even what we see here in Leviticus 19, you know, because the second the second aspect of loving our neighbor, and now we're getting into the to the realm of what we weren't able to cover on Sunday, is is loving your neighbor with your words. And so, in Leviticus 19, verse 11 and 12, it says, "Do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name." Of your God, I am the Lord, and so um, to love your neighbor is to tell the truth. Now, th- these verses start off with "don't steal," but there's also a sense of, if we read just a few words later that that this stealing is being done by deceptive speech. And so, another way that we love our neighbors is that we speak truthfully um, in our transactions, right? And so, we feel that this is this is where our cultures don't 
perfectly overlap, right? Uh, we're not in as much of a of a of a bartering culture of a of a, um, a paying for goods with goods, like as opposed to you know money. And obviously, they had you know precious metals and stuff like that. But it would be more so uh, of a bartering practice where uh, you're using scales and you're you know you're weighing things out and all. And what mm-hmm. what the Lord is telling His people is is be a people of honest scales. Be a people who be people who uh, describe your goods in truthful ways. Um, don't embellish the worth of what you have or diminish the worth of what someone else has just for your own financial gain. And so uh, what God is saying is love love for your neighbor, uh, whether that's your, your, you know, someone you love or your enemy, it demands that we're careful with our words. And sure. so we sure. love others in, in the way that we speak truthfully to one yeah. another. Do you have like a practical example of what that looks like today? Like if it's their culture versus our culture, is there anything that comes to mind for you? Sure. Like? I mean, I mean, real practically, and, and this is where, you know, this can feel a little trivial. Um, but there is a sense, you know, that we still do sell our things and buy our things, you know, like, so there, there are, I think, transactional ways in which that this can certainly apply, you know, where, whether you're, uh, probably about as practically as you could get is, you know, the Facebook marketplace post or Craigslist. Literally was on it last night selling some stuff. Oh yeah. You're, you're trying to trade your car in or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't go to O'Reilly's and have them zero out your car's computer faults before you take it into the dealer to trade it in for another car. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's good. Now, whether that applies to to one person listening or to every, I don't know who has those thoughts. Believe it or not, you can't. Hopefully, that it didn't give someone an idea. You know, you're like, right? Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh, you can do yeah, that. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Seriously, it's like it all gets traced back to us in this yeah, podcast. We end up in jail. It's like, it's like, have you done that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, I just know you can do it, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But real broad, real broadly, like just simply being honest in the way that that we assess things mm. and the way that we communicate about things, uh, having a carefulness with our words, um, is incredibly important. It, it, yeah. it, it causes us to even think through, uh, how often do we exaggerate when we communicate and why do we do that? You know, mm. like, like this kind of exaggeration within transactions is, is clear in this passage, but it, it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario where someone is able to compartmentalize their life to the degree that you you only exaggerate in one area and not in every other area, you know, yep. like dishonesty is is leaven that spreads throughout the whole of your life, and so it's not as though you can assume that if I'm if I'm going to be dishonest about this in my workplace, you know, for the product that you're selling for your own company, like to not be honest about you know what you know to be true about that just because you're concerned about making a buck, I mean. We've got, we've got salesmen, we've got, you know, people in our church, like be honest about even the things you're selling for your business, you know, and that can put you in an odd spot. I'm sure at times absolutely where it's like, yep, maybe that seed is great, but it's not the magic beans that you're making it out to be, you know, or the golden goose or whatever it is. And so, uh, so you're saying for for justice, there is a value statement on honesty and integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, Psalm 26, 11 through 12, I think this is. Uh, but I live with integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. I'll praise the Lord in the assemblies. And we mm-hmm. want to be the kind of people 
that go to bed at night with a clear conscience, knowing that we've lived with integrity mm. on and all our transactions, dealings at work, and all of those things. I, I, I love this. I ha- honestly hadn't thought of this angle a ton, but this, this is absolutely a component of justice. Because mm. if we do all the other things but don't live with integrity and honesty, you lose it. It all falls apart. Yeah. Well, and, and here's and the, not not that you want pure selfish motivations for doing the right thing, but when you're honest. It also that means that that requires much less of your own memory. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Sure. It's like because when you lie about something, you have to remember that you lied about it, what you said about it, that's different than what is true about it, and you have to keep these constant accounts in your mind to keep up the story. You know, it's a great point without yep. getting found out. And so, if any, and I'm not again, I'm not saying like this should be the primary motivation, but I think part of the reason why. Uh, being honest, though it may cost us at times, which will uh, possibly cause a certain level of problems, uh, we deceive ourselves to say that, well, if I lie about this, then I'm then I won't have any problems. I go, no, actually, you're just trading one problem for another. Exactly. And the problem that you're trading is that uh, now you have to remember everything you have lied about, and whereas to tell the truth in all things, you can sleep easier at night because you're not laying there trying to remember all the things that you said and keep your story straight for the next day, you know? So yeah. it, you got to pick your problems. That's exactly you don't right. get a, you don't get to pick no problem, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 and the mosaic law and Jesus himself would say, Hey, Hey, let's pick the, the problem. I'm putting air quotes up right now that we're, we're going to honor the Lord, yes. you know, and yeah. life is a bit more simpler yeah. and we can sleep at night. Yeah, because in those problems, you then also have the Lord on your side. Exactly. And walking through those difficulties, exactly. you know. So um, the third one would be from verses 13 and 14, uh, and that's loving our neighbor and our actions. And so uh, verse 13 here says, Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you are to fear your God, I in the Lord. Now, what one quick note here is that um, when he's talking about uh, do not oppress your neighbor or rob him, uh, I think sometimes there can be this kind of conflation with oppression and inequality. Um, we we live in a culture that has is almost allergic to nuance, right? And so. When we, when we well, hear culture right now is uh, 140 characters, oh, man. like short statements, yelling, all those things. There's not a lot of nuance in oh, culture today. Clickbait. I mean, headlines. Yep. You know, like the headline is more important than the article. Yep. It, it it's just there's no nuance. So when we hear inequality, I th- and I think this is probably a good instinct in in one respect, sim- in part because of our nation's history. When we think of inequality, we automatically think. Um, wrong. And I would say inequality, uh, what kind of inequality are we talking about? Okay. So like inequality caused by things um, that are, that are out of someone's control and are actually gifts because we you've been made in the image of God. So we'll say racial inequality, right? I go, absolutely. Racial inequality is abhorrent to the Lord because all people are made in the image of God. Absolutely. If we're talking inequality when it comes to, um, when it comes to outcomes, like regardless of, of the amount of effort you put into something, uh, 
it should be the exact same outcome. And if there's an, an inequality in that outcome, then then that means that there's been some sort of inequity done, like injustice. I go, I think you're going to have a really hard time actually uh, practically living according to your own principles in the sense, and, I, and I'll say it this way. Um, when you go to the doctor, uh, the position that your doctor is in is unequal to the person that you talk to at the gas station, not in their inherent worth or value as a human, but in the nature of their qualification for their position. And so when you go, when you go to have a surgery, you want your surgeon uh, to have the skills that you could say there is an inequality between their skills and your skills. If that weren't the case, then you could probably do the surgery yourself, you know. Sure. If, if you were flexible enough, maybe. Right. could withstand the pain. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but what I'm saying is that, like, oppression and inequality are not always the same thing. Now, oppression can take place because there is a an arbitrary inequality placed on people when it comes to their value as a human, which is which is what we see in in uh, in in 19th and 20th century slavery. Right. Like that that is that is seeing other people made in the image of God as subhuman and therefore oppressing them because of that. That is different than just pure inequality. You know what I'm saying? And sure. so that I think that's a caveat and that that's a level of nuance and that that honestly could be a whole nother conversation and yeah. has been a whole nother conversation. But what this is saying is that God's people must not take advantage of the weak. Like in the actions that we take towards other people, we need to recognize the situation that they're in and take appropriate actions to make sure and make sure and make sure that we are not, uh, that we are not gaining an advantage because of their disadvantage. I mean, that's what he talks about, um, right here in, uh, let's see here. So, the wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. So you think of this culture, right, where uh, like often it's day labor. And so you have people coming to a place, they're working for a day, and they're being paid for a day, which means that the wages that they're getting for the day is providing for their food for that day. And that worker is most often not in the position to be able to defend himself when he finishes the that that. A day of labor, and the person that hired him says, uh, "No, nah, I actually don't have the money. I said I was going to give you." Or says, uh, "I I have the money, but you didn't do a good enough job, and so you're not going to get paid." Like that person in that moment is an incredible is in an incredibly uh, difficult position when it comes to any sort of power or leverage that they have because they don't have the time to go through the legal process to get their wage for that day in order to pay for the food they need for that day. Sure. You know, right. like yeah. they are in a vulnerable position and kind of in the same way, you know, you go down to verse 14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Like, uh, even if someone can't hear you, don't like spew out curses towards them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing that immediately popped up in my mind, uh, was what do you say about other people driving in other cars? <laughs> <laughs> For all intents sure. and purposes, they're deaf to you. Right. You know what I mean? But yep. it's like, are do you say things about them in when you're in separate cars that you yep. would never say to their face? Right. Like, you know, yep. Like, That's good. Like love your neighbor in uh in your words, you know, but love your neighbor in your actions yep. as well. Like don't put a stumbling block before uh before the blind. Like mm-hmm. they won't know who did it. 
they won't know it was there, but like God knows. Yeah. And so like if other people uh, don't know the language of of your country, like uh, I think of I think of uh, people who have immigrated to this country who don't speak English, um, or who or the 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 uh, the social structure or the the systems you know the that are here like that, that maybe they're just unaware of how things work like don't take advantage of it it ought not be the case it should actually make us really frustrated that um, that immigrants and you can get on legal or illegal immigration all you want I'm just saying these are people made in the image of God in a vulnerable position yeah. for whatever reason that they're here yeah. that because of their vulnerability often can be taken advantage of simply because they're seen as laborers. And so they get people getting paid just terrible amounts of money, you know? And again, I'm, I'm not trying to be political about it. I'm just looking at what God's word says and like, don't oppress your neighbor. Like don't oppress, don't, don't withhold from them the wages that are due to them. Mm -hmm. You know, like don't put a stumbling block before those who are vulnerable. Yep. And I think there's a, a both and here. Cause I think maybe what we might initially think is don't oppress the neighbor. We might think, uh, yeah, okay. So don't do harm to them. And I say, yes, but also what God is saying is don't ignore them. Mm. So engage with them. Um, I think a pattern that we see in the person of Jesus Christ constantly throughout the gospels is that he saw a need, he felt compassion for that, or felt something, and then acted in some mm. way, right? Um, you saw it with the crowds, like he felt compassion with the crowds, and they prayed over the crowds. And uh, you, you, you see it uh, uh, time and time again through the Gospels where he saw, he felt, he acted. Mm. And that's really convicting for me. Because uh, things break down oftentimes for me in all three of those. But honestly, a lot of times it's the first one, just seeing the mm. needs that are actually around me. My, I am mission-focused, task-oriented, and so I get tunnel vision throughout my day, and I miss the opportunities around me where I, I have opportunities to love my neighbor, you know, and not ignore them. And I, I think that's an important principle for us as as Christians. Um, and and you go, well, I don't know if I'm going to do the right thing. It's like, well, I, yeah, you're going to have to grow in those things to go, what, what is the right thing in certain situations? But I, I'd even press this to start with the first thing. It's just Let's just keep our eyes open as mm -hmm. believers to the needs that are around us. And I, and I think as we um, begin to engage, our hearts will be melded and we'll, God by his spirit will guide us on how to act. Uh, I think a, there's a basic principle that's just true, that proximity breeds empathy. Mm. that when we stiff arm and distance ourselves away from people that are not like us, different than us, or vulnerable, whatever you want to say, um, it creates these gaps. But when you when you draw in close uh, with people, it creates empathy. You start seeing their situation. I remember, um, you know, Casey and I engaged with a mom and her her son, and a lot of, a lot of needs, a lot of things going on, and... Um, uh, I, I remember there, there's this like illustration of principle of, of, of spinning plates where, um, you know, if me and you had like seven spinning plates that represented our health, our kids' health, reliable transportation, housing, our job, things like that. If one of those plates dropped from me or you, the rest of the plates keep spinning, right? Because mm -hmm. we've got family, friends, community that, that circle around us and, oh, your kid's sick. Hey, let me jump in and I'll, I'll take care of that for you. For this mom, when one of those plates dropped... It impacted all the other ones. Mm -hmm. When her kid was sick, she had to go, 
am I going to stay here with my kid or am I going to, yeah, I, I can't go to my job today, like, so I might, but I might get fired, but who's going to watch my kid? Like, all of a sudden, yeah. all of those things begin to get impacted. And so it's a complex web. Um, and it, but, but what I'm saying, though, is um, when, when we really began to engage uh, that proximity to them began to breed empathy in our lives. Where maybe before we'd maybe point mm. figures like, well, what are they doing? You know, but we began to go. I started to go. I didn't even know what I would do. Not like I have all the answers or whatever. Right. It's like, man, this is a tough spot. And so, so, so I'm I'm just saying when it comes to loving your neighbor, not oppressing your neighbor. I think we need to be the type of people who roll up our sleeves and are willing to jump into messy lives with mm. people very yeah. practically. I think one. I think one thing that makes that difficult is that uh especially as a as a westerner i'll say being uh just the water we swim in is is individualism and totally. you know you you eat what you kill and personal responsibility and, all that. and that and those are i mean so in some ways these are gifts from god that we have the freedom uh to do some of these things while at the same time what can happen is that we lose uh the category that it's like it's not always a one-to-one relationship that if you work hard, you will make enough to provide for yourself. It's not, that's not always the case, you know? And so again, that level of nuance that's, that's necessary to be able to have that, um, that heart of compassion for people who are in a different situation than you. And it, it, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Don't have the same structures around them or the same resources and family. And maybe the last principle I'll throw out for this one, um, uh, because it can feel overwhelming, the amount of needs around us, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think it was Jake Each that dropped this line. Um, He said, do for one what you wish you could do for millions. Mm. Start there, you know? Mm Because I think what we can do is see a ton of needs, and we get paralyzed by it and then end up doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, We have some families in our church that have, uh, adopted. And I'm sure those families would love to adopt every orphan in the world <laughs> and bring them to their family. They don't have the capacity for that, mm. but they have the capacity to bring in one or at least, right. You know, they, they do for one, uh, and are doing for one what they wish they could do for, for millions. So, um, so as you jump into some of maybe these things practically, it might feel overwhelming, but that's been a helpful principle for me. Um, even personally. Mm. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into this. Thing. I'm going to identify where I'm at and just take the next step and, and start to engage. Yeah, no, that's really good. So love love your neighbor with your possessions, love your neighbor with your words, love your neighbor with your actions. Then verses 15 and 16 here in Leviticus 19, we see that we're to love our neighbor in our judgments. And so do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So what we see here uh, in verses 15 and 16 uh, is, an, is important in establishing that justice in the Bible, at least as far as like um, like the law and the courtroom is concerned, like justice is, is making sure that, that these processes are fair, which means that fairness does not always, equal, again, go back to an equal outcome. Right, like what what justice require, what justice requires is that we that, is that we be people who are who are on the side of truth, regardless of the external circumstances, right. regardless of whether someone is rich or regardless of whether someone is poor, like that that they are, are at least afforded a fair hearing in in the legal and judicial process, you know. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. in, 
and this can this can be a bit more nuanced than we like to think, you know, because a lot of us go like, well, yeah, we want fair laws and we want people to be treated equal, so equally, stuff like that. It, let, let's just let's just bring it down to maybe the micro level, right? And so let's okay. say let's say you have let's say you have two men in your church. Um, uh, one is a wealthy guy. One is a you know he's not poor, maybe a more blue collar guy. Okay, who who's a carpenter. And so the wealthy guy hires the blue collar guy in your church to do some work on his house. And he says, uh, he says that he'll pay him $10,000 for the job. And so, uh, the, 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 the blue collar guy comes to you, says, Hey, comes to the elders of the church. Let's say he says, Hey, I finished the work for this guy. He said he would pay me $10,000. Okay. Now the wealthier guy, says, yeah, I said that I would pay him $10,000 only if the work was done by this date. If it was done after that date, I'd pay him $5,000. Now, what do you do? You know, like, cause it's like, cause you could go, uh, well, this guy really needs the money. This guy has the means. I know this was the, I know this was the arrangement, but Come on, what? Come on, rich guy. Just just give him the ten grand, even though that's not you know. The, at the end of the day, you go, is that a fair process? Like, is that in accordance with the truth of what they agreed to? Now, if the wealthier guy like wants to, uh, uh, go against their contract and pay double, like mm-hmm. again, we talked about on Sunday that. Uh, that biblical justice, biblical Christianity is compelled by love. So maybe this wealthy guy compelled by love for the, for the position of, of the other guy would do that. But from the standpoint of, let's, let's call it the quote-unquote legal process, you know, let's say they, they brought it into the jury of the church, you know, whatever. Um, again, we have to look at their socioeconomic situations as uh, – not as irrelevant in the sense of how we view them as people, but as we look at uh, loving loving our neighbor in our judgments to go, what is what is most true here? Like justice means doing what is fair, not making the outcomes the way we think they should be. That's that's what it is at the end of the day. And and here's the really hard part about this. I, I'd say real practically what this can look like for us as Christians is we ought to be very, 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 very slow to jump on the bandwagon of the court of public opinion. So sure. especially in a, in a culture fueled by headlines and outrage, uh, we need to be very, we need to be very slow in, in looking at a situation when we have nearly no details and making a definitive judgment because we are people who care about justice, which means caring about the truth. The reality is, is that in many of these situations for these big things that hit the headlines, we actually don't have enough information to, to really know what right. is true. Yeah. You know, especially and, right away. Oh, especially just, right just away. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and, and I, and I know we, and we have, we have some, some people in our church who are, who are part of law enforcement, who are godly people who, who fear the Lord and who love people. And if I could just speak on their behalf, I'd go, uh, it drives them absolutely crazy when the second something comes out in the news, it seems as though everybody already has an opinion about it. When even those who are intimately involved in the case are still trying to figure out exactly what happened, right. you know, and then people get outraged. Like, why are they, ta- why is it taking so long? Why is it? And it's like, 
it's it happens more often than not. I'm not saying it doesn't happen where where something just totally unjust is is happening in the in the process, but more often than not, the reason for the slowness in a process that it can be frustratingly slow is because there are men and women who are committed to figuring out what actually happened mm-hmm. because they're committed to as best they can, as best as humans can mm-hmm. in figuring out the truth. Right. Right. And so we need to be people who care about justice, who love our neighbor in such a way that we care about being people of truth. And so, uh, again, I, th- I think maybe the most obvious application of that is, could we just stop jumping on, on the bandwagon of the court of public opinion and stop trying people in our minds according to the, to the no information that we actually have about, right. about situations, yeah. right? Yeah, well, that's really good. Um, as you're talking about kind of the last, uh, you were talking about rich and poor and, and not giving preference. Um, yeah, it just reminded me of James too. I'd, I'd like to just read this. Is there, I, I read some of God's word on the podcast. I think that'd be okay. It'd be awkward if you that'd said be okay. no right now. Like, no, we don't do that here. Uh, James too. I'll just read this. It says, my brothers and sisters do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place and yet to the poor person say, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God that he has promised to those who love him that you have dishonored the poor? Don't... The rich oppress you and drag you into the court. Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Mm. So I don't know. I just, it's an affirmation of what you're saying. And I think what James is speaking to is there is a tendency in our heart to start leaning one way. And Leviticus is speaking that mm. to that too, right? And so we've got to fight that tendency. I have that tendency. If someone famous or rich, wealthy, or someone I know that's like that walks into Candeo or into a, you know, where I'm grocery shopping or whatever, I, my, my, my heart is drawn to that immediately. It, it, it's frustrating that my heart is drawn to those things, but when the vulnerable walk in, I my heart can naturally go the other way, you mm. know? And I, I think both James and Leviticus are telling us to, f- to fight against those things, to fight the, um, the, the preferences, the partiality, and, and then ultimately when it comes to, like, yeah, judging cases to, to find what's true. I appreciate mm. what you're saying on that. It's good. Yeah. So love our neighbor with our possessions, our words, our actions, our judgments, and then finally here from Leviticus 19, uh, love our neighbor with our attitude. So... Uh, verse 17, do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's where it is. I am the Lord. And so what this means is that loving our neighbors and our attitude is, is that it's not enough to be polite on the outside and full of bitterness and hatred on the inside. Like, I mean, we talked about Iowa nice, you know, right. I think in, I think in a lot of ways, that's really great, you know, just being friendly and polite and stuff like that. Uh, politeness is great so long as it's not also accompanied by an inward disdain towards the person you are outwardly being polite towards. Right. And so, yeah. uh, we're, we're responsible to not just treat our neighbors rightly, like on the outside, but we're responsible to take the necessary steps so that 
our hearts can feel rightly toward them as well. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. so it's really getting to the heart of the issue here where it's like, mm. don't just, don't simply do good actions towards people, which mm-hmm. is necessary and expected, but also uh, make sure that while you are doing those actions, you're not full of bitterness, hatred, resentful, right? Like it, a resentful heart while you are caring for the vulnerable is also not good enough. Like, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It's <laughs> yeah. And in the same way with, with marriage, if, if my wife asked me to do the dishes and I do it, but with a horrible heart, my wife is very intuitive. She knows if I'm doing something <laughs> with a horrible heart, you know, or with kids, right? You know, mm-hmm. if you do something with a horrible heart, it's like, well, you're missing it, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I do think that's true. Now, there is an element where we go, yeah, sometimes you got to take that step of obedience and the heart will follow, you know, you got to yeah, trust the Lord totally. in those things. Um, so there's there's probably a tension there, um, but but you're absolutely right. And, and I think um, people can love the vulnerable uh, over the facade or under the facade of... Um, religion, you know, and I have, I'm, I'm helping out at this local charity, check, I'm doing these things, check, um, but your heart's not in it, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're wanting to gain, a, you know, approval from maybe others, or maybe this is your way of trying to find your way to salvation, I mean, maybe a fair cycle almost in nature, right, mm-hmm. where you go, well, I'm doing the religious thing, right, that's something I've been, I've been really challenged in, where I go, yeah, I, I want to, if I'm going to serve people, I want to do it the right, the right heart, you know, and, mm. um, and I got to repent of things along the way. I've got to repent of not only like bitterness and in those things, absolutely, but also savior complexes that let lie in my heart, you know, or like, um, superiority complexes that I, I've just got to go. I, one, we are all poor. <laughs> like if we if you want to mm. get like spiritually, like that, that will push you in a place of humility where it's like, well, if you talk about spiritually, what we all deserve, we're all on level playing field here, you know, and we all have our own needs. And so I I think coming in with a posture of humility, um, authenticity, but, but a good heart is a, it's the right thing. Mm. So, but that, that can be a tough, tough thing. Cause you're like, I know I should be doing this, but my heart's this way. So I don't know what, you know, where I go from here. And I suppose for the, for the sake of the definition, what I probably should have also included isn't just physical and spiritual wholeness, but also relational wholeness, you know, which is, I mean, Verse nine, uh, verse seventeen. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Mm. Like, like there is a there is a deep communal element to this. Like, mm. don't act rightly toward them on the outside, but har- harbor hatred. You know, basically, what he's saying is, talk it out. Mm. Like, don't be people who are just content to walk away from conflict, mm. having not even attempted to resolve it. Mm. You know, and the amount of times that this can happen, even within the church, is kind of. Uh, it is incredibly unfortunate where it can mm. be like, man, we don't, we don't see eye to eye on this thing. And maybe it's a superficial thing, you know, especially mm. in the year of COVID with politics and masks and I mean, vaccines, all this stuff, like right. the, the amount, the amount of topics that could and have so disunity among the body of Christ uh, has been, it's been a very opportune time for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but what Leviticus 19 is saying here is like, if you're to love your neighbor as yourself, like this means that we need to be a people who resolve to talk out our problems with each other and do absolutely everything we can to restore relational wholeness with one another Mm -hmm. in such a way that my heart also uh, comes along with that. Right. You know, um, that there is a sense where uh, agree to disagree 
can be a thing, I suppose. Too often what I think happens in that is, well, we're going to agree to disagree. And while we disagree, I'm going to resent you for the disagreement. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, man, if, if you can agree to disagree and you just wholeheartedly, sacrificially love that person, despite your differences, praise God. Like that's an mm-hmm. evidence of grace in the mm-hmm. gospel in your life. Uh, if you're going to continue to resent them, I say there's still a heart issue that needs to be addressed there. Absolutely. If we're going to be people of justice who mm-hmm. pursue spiritual, physical, and relational, I, I would add, yeah. wholeness, you know. Yeah. So. And Jesus is constantly addressing that in, in the Gospels, where you could have the right actions with the wrong heart, and you're, you're missing it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is always going after our heart and all of those things. So I appreciate you bringing up the relational side of things. I think that's great. I mean, even this morning in our elder meeting, Scott Rieger, again, is just is pressing unity, you know, mm-hmm. like the Bible, John 17, Jesus keeps pressing us towards unity. Um, and that doesn't mean, right, like you're saying, that we're going to agree on every single thing, but but instead of harboring, keeping things in the dark, to put things in the light and have honest conversations. Mm. That's another thing. I hope our church continues a culture of having front door conversations where we have authentic, like, this is where I'm at. Help me see where you're at, you know, because um, that 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 squishes the gap, uh, you know, like when there's gaps, there can be suspicion and bitterness and mm. whatever. Hopefully when there is a gap, you, you fill it with trust. Um, but, but at some point you got to have that conversation yeah. to, to eliminate the gap and go, Hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So real simply five ways, at least from Leviticus 19, that we love our neighbor as ourselves is we share our things we tell the truth. We don't take advantage of the vulnerable. Uh, we pursue truth in in fairness and in right judgments, and we talk it out in relational yeah. conflict. So yeah, that's really good. If we can embrace those five things, we'd be we'd be we'd be in a great spot. on the path yeah. toward loving our neighbor as ourselves and and being a people who who pursue justice. So thanks for thanks for talking this out with me, Jordan. Yeah, and, yeah. And hopefully thanks for having me. It's helpful for us and and for anyone who's listening.